Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This conference will now be recorded. So the message I have to share with you this morning is following on from where we left off last week. Stephen, two weeks ago, set up a platform for me that I've kind of, you know, he started the wave that I'm riding, if you like, where he spoke about the parable of the two sons that were sent out by the father into the vineyards. And the one said, yes, I'll go and never did. And the other one said, no, I won't go and, and uh, ended up going. And we spoke about those, those sons and their hard attitudes. We spoke about the third kind of son that Jesus didn't mention, the kind that he really loves. And that is the kind that says, yes, Lord, I will go and went and went and did his father's will. But really, last week was exploring the subject of the will and how strong our will can be. And that in order for us to be disciples, one of the first things Jesus commands of us is that that strong will of ours be submitted to him. Luke 9.23, we read it. It said, Jesus said to all of them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That self-denial is a denial of the will. Um, and we spoke about that there's a difference between the submission of one's will and the transformation of one's will. It's one thing to submit to somebody and do what they say uh, begrudgingly or just because you need to because they're the boss and you are not. But it's another thing to actually want the same thing, to have the same desires deep down in our hearts. And this obviously plays itself out in very real tangible ways in our walk with Jesus. We, there's a difference between the law of doing what we should do and must do because Jesus expects that of us or God says we should versus having our will transformed to, to, to match up or line up with God's will. In other words, we want the same things he wants, and we take delight in the same things he wants. As I have said in 1 verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's what God said to him. If you are willing and obedient. And so in this journey that we have of discipleship of walking with Jesus, it's important that we understand willingness, you know, obedience alone without willingness is not good enough. And likewise, willingness or good intention without obedience also achieves nothing. Let me say that again. Obedience without willingness achieves nothing for God. It gives him no glory and it brings no change to us, as well as willingness without obedience also means nothing. It accomplishes nothing. So we spoke about the subject of meekness, this idea that for our wills to be changed and transformed, we need to have a spirit that is teachable, an attitude of meekness that says, God, I don't know. I, my opinion is not trustworthy. And therefore, would you lead me? Would you guide me? And in so doing, we allow the will of God to be um, cultivated in our hearts. Uh, as I shared, I grew, I grew great. Uh, I've drawn great um, encouragement from the words of Jesus when he was in Gethsemane, facing the, the fiercest trial of his life, deep in prayer. And when he says to God, he says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And the reason I, I, I'm encouraged by that is because even in his darkest moments, even at the place of greatest cost, Jesus' will was so aligned with his father's. He wanted his father's will above his own, even at the cost of his own life. See, his delight was not in getting his way. His delight was in doing the will of his father. And so the principle really was this that we rounded out with last week was that your will alone possesses no spiritual power to achieve anything, but your will simply determines which spiritual power you will release in your life through submission to it. That's what Deuteronomy uh, 30 is all about, where, where God says, I call before you all heaven and earth today as witnesses against you. I set before you a life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. You see, there's a binary choice there. The choice is you either choose life, you either choose God's way, or you choose your way or the enemy's way. And those are really one and the same because our nature that we're born with is not aligned with God's nature. It is very prideful. It is very selfish. Anyone with little children will tell you that. And so that nature needs to be developed and worked out. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to make you a whole new being, a new creature with new creation, uh, with a new nature entirely. The point that I'm making is the choice of what we give ourselves to, the choice of what we yield to is ours. That's what our choice is for. But the choice is not multitudinous. You know, there's a, there's, it's life or death. It's blessing or it's cursing. It's God's way or our way. And once that decision has been made, I want to choose life. I want to choose blessing. I want to choose God's will and God's way for my life over and above what I think I want, over and above my own comfort. Uh, then a transformation of our will begins to take place. And I shared last week that the secret of 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 that transition, of, of, of having that follow through, of having that find expression in our lives. Because it's easy to say, yes, Lord, your will be done, not mine, in a prayer or in a Sunday service, and then we go on with our normal life and it finds no feet. How do we practically do that? Well, the way we do that is by putting our delight in the Lord, finding, putting our, our enjoyment, our pleasure, orientating that towards God. We looked at Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We looked at Psalm 40, verse 8, where David said, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. And this is the theme that I want to pick up on this morning, that I want to continue along the same thought. We're talking about the will submitted to man, of man submitted to God, but I, I really want to focus this morning on the willingness and obedience that come together to produce joy. The willingness and obedience that come together to produce delight, not only in the heart of God, but in the heart, our hearts. As we willingly obey and, and bring joy to God's heart, that delight flows into our hearts. And I want to focus on another set of statements that Jesus made. Um, and we're going to read about it from John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'm reading primarily from New King James this morning. I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 4, verse 27. We're going to read from there through to verse 38. But before we start, let me set the scene for you. Jesus and his disciples are, are taking a long journey. They are journeying from uh, the area of uh, Judea to, Gal into, to the area of Galilee. Now, I want to show you something here quickly. 
How do I do this again? Uh, here we go. Share my screen. All right. As you can see here, the disciples and Jesus are here in the area of Judea. In Judea, we notice there's places like Bethlehem, Emmaus, Jerusalem. We recognize some of those names from stories that we've heard. And they're going up here to the area of Galilee, which is, you know, Nazareth is there, Sephora, Tiberias. Those are the areas there. So in order to get from Judea to Galilee, they had to go through the area of Samaria. Now, Samaria is a contentious area because it's filled with contentious people. And by the way, just as you're looking at the map here, they had to travel through this city, the city of Sikar. Now, let me stop sharing my screen for a second. Can you all see me again? All right. Is everybody frozen? Everyone's frozen on my screen. Can you hear me? Have I? Have I killed it? We can hear you. We oh, can hear we you. Thank you, Rod. Yeah. You've all come alive again. All right. So the area, the Jesus and the disciples are making this journey. It's a long journey. And along the way, they're traveling through Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans did not get on. Um, there was great animosity and religious hatred between the two going back hundreds of years. So what they did is they came to the city of Sikar in Samaria. And there, Jacob, that is where Jacob's well was dug. And so they sat there uh, for a rest at Jacob's well. They stopped for a minute and uh, just to rest, just to recuperate. And the disciples went into the city of Sikar to get food. Now, while Jesus was waiting there at the well, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. And we know the story of the Samaritan woman. A conversation begins happening. Jesus asks for some water and they talk about, you know, the water that will ne you'll never thirst again, the water of eternal life. You know, he tells her about her past, about her history, how many, you know, husbands she's had and, and the person she's currently with is not her husband and all this kind of thing happens. And she's blown away. And she has this encounter with Jesus where her heart is touched and she recognizes and starts asking, is this not the Messiah that was prophesied? And at this point in the conversation, the disciples return from the city with their supplies. And we're going to pick it up here in John chapter 4 from verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So they marveled the fact, not just that Jesus was talking to a woman, but it's a, a Samaritan woman here. And he's in conversation with her. They can see this is not just a, a casual greeting. He's having a deep conversation. And so the atmosphere in that place of Jesus speaking into this woman's heart and into her life changes dramatically. And now there's a whole bunch of onlookers. And so the atmosphere changes and the woman kind of takes her leave. She goes away. And she leaves her water, her, her jug there. 28 says, the water, woman left her pot, went her way to the city and said to the men, men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So now the whole city is coming to Jesus. Well, not all of the city, but a large number of them. In the meantime, so while the woman was doing that, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat now it's, it's important to note for a second here that preceding the scripture it says that they stopped there to rest because they were tired jesus was tired he was weary from the journey but jesus says to them i have food to eat of which you do not know 
to which James says to Peter, I knew I heard chocolate wrappers in the front pocket of his of his robe. I knew, he was packing bar once. He had food that we don't know about. He, he's been packing all along. And, and, and so the disciples said to one another, verse 33, has anyone brought him anything to eat? So what is this food that he's talking about? And it almost seems as Jesus makes a, a statement just to confuse them. It makes no sense. Why does Jesus say, I've got food that you don't know about? Well, he's trying to teach them something by a practical example. He says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, apparently what, what that really means is, or if you get down to the root of that statement, Jesus is saying, I am refreshed by nourishment hidden from you. I want you to get that. I'm refreshed by nourishment. Nourishment some, is something that strengthens you. It's something that ministers grace to you. You, you know, when you are well nourished, you have nice pink cheeks. You've got a bit of plumpness in your cheeks. When you're malnourished, you are thin and weak. And Jesus is saying, I am nourished. I'm strengthened by sustenance or nourishment that's hidden from you that you cannot see. And then he goes on to tell them what that is. It's not a bar one. He tells them that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's a statement here by, uh, as I was you know, working my way through these scriptures, there's uh, a commentary by a guy called Alfred who says this, Jesus found great satisfaction in doing the will of God even when he was weary. In fact, the conscious doing of God's will refreshed the weary Jesus. Uh, and I think about that, folks. And I look at my heart and I look at my life, and I think we all need to do this sometimes and to realize that not only did Jesus know what was the right thing to do with this woman in that moment, but he did it. You know, I think of myself, there's, there's two kinds of Christians that get on the airplane. The first kind of Christian gets on an airplane wearing a Christian T-shirt that makes a statement that would invoke some kind of conversation because, man, I've got two hours, three hours, five hours, however long it is, with this person next to me. They don't have a choice. They've got to listen to me. I'm going to win them for Jesus. That's the first kind of Christian who gets on a plane. Then you have the second kind of Christian who gets on a plane that puts in his earphones and says, I just want to be left alone. I'm tired. This is going to be a long journey. By the way, that's me. Leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered unless it's for food. You bring me food. Earphones. Hi. Coffee, please. Then we're, then we're good friends. Hello. Good, nice to meet you. Would you like a sweet? That's, that, that's it. Don't talk to me about your book. I don't want to know. So you've got those two different kinds of Christians. Now, which is the right one? Well, possibly somewhere in between. I don't know. But the point is this. Jesus was feeling tired. And along his way, he's there alone and this woman comes. He could easily have just let her go. But there was something in him that knew that doing that, that sharing God's love with her would not just change her life, but it would refresh him. There was a secret that Jesus was aware of that we need to cotton in onto. And that's what Alfred is saying here. He says this bodily thirst and hunger, probably from the, that time of day, which our Lord felt before had been and was forgotten in the carrying on of his divine work in the soul of this Samaritan woman. And as I 
ponder on that and I think of, I try and put myself in Jesus' shoes or sandals I and, and think of how he may have felt, I realize that so many of us get stuck in the satisfaction of our own salvation. You know, we are right to feel fulfilled and blessed in our new life in Christ. We are right to enjoy this relationship and to have it be intimate and to claim the blessings and the promises. All of that is good. But Jesus calls his disciples, you and I, by the way, you and I as his disciples, into a richer and a deeper and even more fulfilling experience than our own personal salvation. You say, could there be anything more fulfilling, more enriching than our own personal salvation? Well, yes, it's what our own personal salvation empowers us to do, calls us to do, enables us and woos us to do the will of the Father. And the question is then, well, what is the will of the Father? You could say, well, my, the will of God for me is this and the will of God for you is that. And we speak about that individual will. And, and yes, there are definitely different expressions of how the will of God works itself out in different lives and in different uh, giftings and all those things. But there is a generic call over all of us that is the same. Even though we find our niche in that, the call is the same. The will of the Father is that work that when we do it, is that work that when we do it, our souls are nourished and refreshed. And what is that? Jesus goes on to explain to them. Verse 35. Do not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Rejoice together. So Jesus is saying the will of the Father, he knew what it was for himself. He went about and did it, is to go into the harvest field. It was the same will that he brought the disciples into when he sent them out, when he sent out the 70, when he commissioned them in Mark 16 or at the end of the book of Matthew, and he gives what we call the great commission today to go and make disciples of all nations. That is the will of God for your life and for mine. Wherever it is that he's placed us, however it is that he's gifted us. The will of the Father is winning souls for the kingdom. It is that all creation be restored to him. And let's look at the last sentence there, that he who sows, whether you're the one who shares the word or whether you're the one who, 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 who leads someone to Christ, there's joy in it. There's rejoicing in it that feeds and nourishes the soul. God's will is that all creation that was lost through the fall be restored to him. Folks, God's delight is his people. He rejoices in you, but he also wants to rejoice in those who he loves and are lost. He hates what sin has done for us. Sin has, has perverted and tarnished everything that he created as holy and pure and beautiful and, and perverted it and, and changed the nature and the character of it. And those of us who delight in doing the will of God will find that we delight in his work of restoration. Let me give you, we're going to just keep your place in the scripture there. I'm going to just do a little caveat here to Colossians 1 verse 20 to 22. I want to read this to you from the Passion Translation because it says this. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself. That's what God wants to do. Back to its original intent restored to innocence again. 
Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, my will, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless and restored. You see, this is the this is this is the delight of God. Every every smaller aspect of what the will of God may look like for you and for me or in whatever different context is encapsulated in this principle of restoration of all things back to God. And this rejoicing that those who work together in the sowing and the reaping in the gospel experience is the fruit of their delight. What do I mean by that? When my delight is fulfilled, I rejoice. Where what I delight in comes to pass, there is joy and happiness. And so this, where Jesus is experiencing this joy, and he's talking about the disciples, the joy of sowing and sharing God's word, the joy of reaping and bringing souls into the kingdom. He's talking the fact about the fact that, as we've spoken about last week, orientating our delight, the delight was on souls. The delight was in winning the lust for the kingdom of God. We round out with verses 37 and 38, going back to John. Jesus says, for this, the for in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Entered into their labor labors. Now, as we've gone through this portion of scripture, we've shared a few thoughts already, but there are two things that really stand out to me that I want to elaborate on a little bit further. The first one is this is the joy and the delight that those who win souls discover. The joy and the delight of winning the lost to God. Let me ask you this. When last did you lead a soul to Jesus? When last did you share his love with somebody? Often we say, yes, I've shared the love of God in a practical way. Um, you know, I, we, we delivered a meal or we gave clothes or we did these things. That is good. Those are all acts of love. But I'm really talking specifically here again, not just about ministering to a lost soul, but winning a lost soul. You see, when we find delight in winning souls to Christ, we join in the delight of God. That is what God delights in. And, you know, this is our own spiritual bar one. It's our own spiritual bar one. That's that's what this is all about. You know, when I, you know, win a soul, it's it's sustenance. It's encouraging. Tony Fitzgerald, you know, once said he had a big, big argument when he was in his early 20s. And he actually got excommunicated from the church because he said that soul winning or evangelism is therapeutic to the soul. Um, it is. It absolutely is. And Jesus attests to that in what he, he shared and what happens uh, with the woman at the well. He was tired. He was weary. But in winning a soul, he was encouraged and strengthened and excited all over again. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures about how exciting souls winning the lost coming to salvation is in the kingdom of God. Luke 15 verses 4 to 10. Luke 15 verses 4 to 10. I'm reading from the New King James. 
And Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, so often I think we put place so much emphasis on that verse. I want to look at verse number five and six. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then not only that, he goes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which I have lost. I say to you, Jesus says, that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Look at the joy that is in that. He goes on to tell another parable, verse 8. Well, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Folks, I want to say this to you. The atmosphere of joy and in heaven through through a sinner getting repenting and coming to salvation will reverberate in your own heart when you are a, the one who has played a role in that salvation. Real joy and fulfillment. There is nothing like knowing that 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 you have changed the eternal destiny of somebody. You see, as this is the work that God has called each of us to do. And to take joy in it. There's delight in it. If I was to say to you, you're going to eat a bar one, the thought of the bar one is really good. Let's be honest. The thought of eating a bar one is really good. But eating a bar one is way better. So the first thing I want to share with you is that delight, the delight that we ought to have in knowing that, that Jesus is at work, the Holy Spirit is at work, and he wants to win souls for the kingdom. The second point that I want to make, uh, that I want to focus a little bit more on or elaborate on, is the work that Jesus called and commissioned us to do, this work of restoration. I'll read a portion of scripture to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And again, it's, it's talking about this. We, we read from Colossians. We read that Jesus is restoring things here. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it again in verse 2 Corinthians 5:18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So you can see this pleading on Paul's heart that he understands the greater picture. He obviously is taking great delight in the journey of it. He was a great evangelist went and, and, you know, in his apostolic work. He, he won the, the heathen world to Christ. But this is the work that we've all been called to. And folks, this ought to be not only our responsibility, but our delight. It's not just about being obedient and going and sharing the gospel because we're told to. Nor is it about wanting to share the gospel, but not actually doing anything about it because we're afraid or we don't know how. It's the willingness of man's heart and the obedience that come together to produce 
life transformation in others that ministers delight and joy back to us. So let me ask you this, because this is obviously a confrontational message. I'm confronted by this message. And it's intended to be a confrontational message. It's intended to make us a little squeamish in our seats and perhaps question our own heart or our, our own obedience in this area. So what should our response be concerning what I've shared today? Well, I want to look once again at an instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples. Luke 10, verse 2. It's one that we're probably quite familiar with. In fact, it's one that is in a, on a huge poster right at the back of our church as we exited. But I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation this morning. It says it this way. He released them with these instructions. The harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to drive out into his harvest fields many more workers. Now, listen, we're used to the, um, the, the saying, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his vineyard. We, we, we're used to that translation. The thing that's interesting about the, trash, the, the, the Passion Translation is that it's, uh, it's, it's derived from the original Aramaic. And this term drive out that is in there is an interesting one. Let me read to you what it means. This term is used many times in the Gospels for driving out and casting out demons. So in other words, where somebody is possessed by, by you know, the, by, where a demon is possessed somebody and that demon is dormant there, dormant there, that demon is cast out or driven out forcefully to go. It has to leave that person. The Lord of the harvest must cast them forth. The Holy Spirit is the director of the harvest. So really, what, what Jesus is saying here is that he wants us to pray that we will be cast out of our comfort, of our comfort zones, into the harvest fields to go make a difference. Folks, here's the truth. I see this truth in my heart, and I see this truth within the church, that many of us need to be driven out of the comfort and self-centeredness of our own personal salvation, me and Jesus and all these blessings, praise God, hallelujah, into the harvest fields of our workplaces, the harvest fields of our schools, the harvest fields of our families, etc., etc., etc. There's There's a part in us where, where I'm talking about the will that says we should desire to go out and do these things. But if we're honest, many of us, though we desire we find no or little practical expression. And so Jesus says to his disciples here, pray that the Holy Spirit would thrust you out there, that he would thrust out not just other laborers, but you out there. You see, folks, to be content with the fact that we are safe while watching those around us perish in sin contradicts the very love of God that we say is in our hearts. There's a contradiction there. There's something flawed to be happy with my salvation, to be happy that I am saved, but do nothing for those around me who don't know Jesus, to do nothing for those around me who have not experienced the touch of his love. And so, like I said, God calls us to pray, Father God, drive me out of my comfort into the harvest fields. You see, what I'm saying to you today, folks, is that for this to find traction, in our hearts and lives, it's got to begin in the area of our will being changed to conform with God's will. It has to start with our delight being found, not in our comfort or getting our own way, but our delight being found 
in the reconciliation of the lost to their creator. Where does this begin? Well, in some ways it begins with our heart attitude in prayer, but in some ways it begins with the prayer saying, God, thrust me out there. Thrust me out there. Put me in situations, Lord, where I can share my testimony of what you've done for me. Put me in situations, Lord God, where I can preach Jesus, where I can share the good news of the gospel so that those who are lost may be found and may come into the kingdom. I think some of us are a lot like young children who don't like trying new food for the first time. And so I could present somebody with a bar one and they say, well, that wrapper doesn't look very good. And so here's my, here's my bar one analogy. So the bar one is the, the thing that gave Jesus sustenance, right? It's, it's that joy that came to him, that, that food that he had stashed away. And when we begin praying concerning sharing the gospel, it's, it's, it's like we begin to unwrap that bar one. And we open the wrapper and, and we begin to explore this new world of sharing the gospel, of sharing the love of God. And we get to smell the, the fragrance of love that, that God brings to us through this. And, you know, like if I had to present this to you and, you know, some children are like, yeah, but it doesn't smell like the other chocolates I know. Or, you know, it looks chewy. And, you know, the truth is you, the glory of the bar one. I mean, you, obviously, Jesus had a bar one. He was clearly having a 25 hour day. Uh, the glory of the bar one is not in the looking at it. It's not in the unwrapping of it. It is in the eating of it. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's so good. Give me a moment here. Just to... the rejoicing. The satisfaction of my delight in having partaken of this bar one and enjoying the chocolate flavor of it. I am nourished from food that you don't know, that you haven't got. Here's the point. <laughs> the joy that Jesus speaks of here. The can, joy of nourishment. Can, can we have a break for us to go and get something, please? <laughs> I have a feeling that our next communion might include bar ones after this. Well, well said, Ron. Can we also go and get a bar one, please? So the whole idea is to create is to create a hunger within you, which is working. Praise God. Hallelujah. But not for bar ones. For souls, which I promise you satisfy way more than any chocolate bar ever could. Yes, folks, it is a blessed experience to share the love of God with others. And I want us to remember this. What, what is the significance of our will being transformed if it remains fixated on ourselves? <laughs> there is no point. The will of God is that he's brought us into his likeness in Jesus Christ. He's, made, he's given us his life, his power, his Holy Spirit. So that we are equipped and enabled to go out and share in his delight. Not only that we are now his children, citizens of his kingdom, but that we can help. We can continue the work of reconciliation, bringing other hearts into that same life with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, is this an area where your will needs work? Probably yes. 
And so here's what I want to leave you with today. I want to encourage you, according to Luke 10, verse 2, pray. Pray. Pray about the lost in your life. Pray. Are you bold enough to pray the prayer? God, by your spirit, would you thrust me into situations out of my comfort zone where I can share your love with others and win a soul for Christ? Are you bold enough to pray that prayer? You see, that is the prayer of a disciple. That is a prayer of self. That is the prayer of Jesus when he said, Father, he was bold enough to say, Father, thrust me out of my throne here in heaven, down to earth, that I may go and die on a cross for your people to set them free from the sin and the depravity that they are stuck in, that I would be their deliverer, that I would be the Messiah. And he left his comfort to do not his will, but the will of his father, which, by the way, along the way was also obviously his will. He took delight in the will of the father. Folks, this is the will of God for you and for me. If we cannot answer the question, when last did I win the soul? Can we a soul to Christ? Can we ask the question? Can we answer the question? When last did I share my faith with somebody? When last did I share Jesus? When last did I? Tell somebody about the love of God. When last was I nourished from within by the Holy Spirit and empowered to reach out and share my, the gospel and also experience the delight of God in knowing that somebody's life has been touched and changed through the gospel I've shared. That's the thought I want to leave you with today. And like I said, I want to encourage you. Pray. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.